0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, good morning to you. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend and looking forward to catching up with you. I know it's a busy week ahead, so there's a lot to cover.
1: Yeah, good morning, John. It was a rain so weekend here in the Northeast, and so waking up this morning to bright sunny skies, and tonight's nice, uh, change after the past 48 hours.
0: Definitely, and I know today, Jason, it does kick off the month of May with... A lot of new data points about to arrive. This, of course, complements the economic and earnings data from last week. It was quite busy. However, the new story for this week will, of course, be the Fed meeting with the possibility of the central bank being done with rate hikes. A lot of anticipation there, so there's a lot to dig into. So maybe that's a good starting point beginning with the Fed, which, as mentioned, has its FOMC meeting on Wednesday. We will receive the decision then. So first, Jason, can you speak a bit to CIO's expectation for the meeting outcome and maybe secondly how does this impact the investment outlook which you say in your recent blog the pause that doesn't refresh is probably not much that was an interesting takeaway Jason if you can expand on that a bit for us as well
1: well let's start with the first question which is what do we expect Uh, we expect along with the market very high probability that we get another 25 basis point rate hike on Wednesday the focus will be almost entirely then on what does the Fed communicate regarding its future plans, both in in the statement and also during uh, Chair Powell's press conference afterwards. It's very likely the Fed's going to leave the door open to doing more hikes, basically give itself some optionality so the statement can say something along the lines of additional policy adjustments will be conditional on the incoming data. So if inflation stays high, if the economy looks like it's not slowing down, if stress in the banking system... Title credit is not having much of an impact, then the fed could go into the twenty five basis points in June um, if none of those things holds, then it's a good chance uh, they're probably done. I'd say overall, it's more likely that they're done than not um, you know you know they had a chance to revise their dot plot higher in March, and they didn't so if they hike you know this week, it gets them to where they were projecting to be by year end uh, and not a lot of the things you've seen in the data would indicates uh, a reason for them to sort of you know, maybe change their thinking so I think the guidance would be, you know, uh, 25 optionality for going forward, but probably likely done, barring things to end up being much more resilient and sticky inflation than we expect. Turning then to your second uh, the part of the question, the, you know, what's the impact of the investment outlook? And as you mentioned in this blog, I kind of basically say probably not a lot that, uh, in terms of altering the investment outlook. It's really kind of predicated on the fact that this has been widely anticipated. Uh, since the last meeting throughout the month this is expected. but if you even go back to the start of the year, the thought was they'll hike you know the start of February, March is a possibility. They obviously did March, you know, maybe one more was a possibility, uh, but then they'll be done. And so this is kind of what well expected. It's kind of priced across the rates markets in terms of you know the Fed being done as so sort of even cut late this year and across risk assets I think it kind of assumes to some extent that you know the Fed will be done and even maybe you know cutting rates. So given what's already priced in. This isn't necessarily new news. If we do then sort of step back and think about what does this mean for the overall kind of investment outlook, last year was a year where the Fed was focused on tightening financial conditions to slow the economy in order to bring inflation down because it's far too high. Um, by not hiking anymore, by pausing the Fed's business saying that regime is officially done, we're not going to try and tighten financial conditions further. We think we've done enough, plus what could happen with new tighter credit due to the banking crisis. To do sort of some heavy lifting there, so we don't need to tighten financial conditions anymore. Uh, now that was already effectively the case back earlier in the year when markets rallied, financial conditions eased in January, and Powell said at the press conference in, on Feb 1 that you know they're comfortable with financial conditions where they are. They don't think they've eased too much. There's still a lot of cumulative tightening. So that headwind for the markets for last year, I think that's kind of we can say that officially kind of kind of would come to an end with a pause. A related aspect is that when the Fed's raising rates, it's a source of market volatility. If the Fed is not hiking anymore, you can remove the, that from the volatility. And the fact that we've seen this, the S&P of 100 volatility decline a lot since mid-March uh, to very low levels, levels that we haven't been at like around 16 months. You know, the VIX has had a 15 handle as of Friday. That's, I think, not coincidental, you know, coinciding with the Fed you know, basically being done and, and looking to sort of maybe start to deal with the other aspects of its dual mandate in terms of, Financial stability, but also ultimately kind of a slower economy. Uh, um, But the final thing I'd say is the outlook, even though the Fed is not maybe a source of volatility going forward, Fed put is also not back. Uh, The Fed's not going to step in if things get a little wobbly as long as inflation stays uncomfortably high. And core measures of inflation are still at 4.5%. The Fed may have to keep rates elevated for like another year, you know, well into restricted territory before they can be confident that core inflation is coming down. So the Fed may be less of a headwind than it has been as a result of the pause, but it doesn't mean it's a tailwind. It doesn't mean that this Fed put is back in place. Um, so overall, then, I think that's why the investment outlook doesn't really change much. The market's priced for it, and the Fed really now kind of sitting on the sidelines, or it's likely it's on the sidelines, uh, after the Wednesday meeting.
0: To dig a bit deeper, you also write within the blog that investors have become highly anticipatory of Fed actions, pricing them in well before they actually happen, and that there could be an investor put for equities. So what do you mean by that?
1: The Markets are always forward-looking. They're always trying to anticipate what's going to happen with the economy, with inflation growth, and where interest rates could go. The point I was sort of making is that the interaction between the Fed and the investors in the marketplace overall has become sort of more dynamic, I think the markets try to price in the actions from the Fed maybe even earlier than they used to, going back 15-plus years ago. Uh, And I think there's a couple of reasons why that's the case. One is that the Fed has now relies much more on sort of forward guidance, things like the dot pot where it's going, the summary of economic projections, to kind of indicate to the market what it intends to do. This wasn't the case part of the financial crisis back in '08, so you know this wasn't true really 15 years ago. It wasn't necessarily the case back in the 1990s. The Fed didn't give any sort of kind of that guidance. and In fact, Alan Greenspan in the 1990s was sort of famous for really being kind of obfuscating what he kind of spoke, you know, not kind of giving a clear indication of what the Fed intends to do. Whereas now the Fed is trying to be pretty clear of like what the direction it's, it's taking. So the market can kind of see off of that and can price that in you know very early before the Fed actually takes the actions. And then we also kind of have to realize that we are in an environment now with social media, with kind of mobile internet access, mobile phones, and information spreads very quickly and widely across financial markets, not instantaneously, but much faster than it ever did. And much has been made that, you know, the banking crisis that started in March was the first time that we've had this kind of situation, you know, the possibility of bank runs in this social media era. It's also true that it, this hiking cycle that Fed is undertaking right now is only the second time they've done a hiking cycle in this kind of social media era. The last one and the only one was when they hiked from 2015 up to the end of 2018. And even then, it wasn't maybe quite as widely sort of spread in terms of social media influencing what people are doing and thinking. So if we look back at multiple cycles, the last seven or eight cycles, when people look at the relationship between the Fed, what they're doing interest rates, and what it means for equity markets – you have to sort of acknowledge that this is a different information environment that we're operating in today than all but one of those environments, which means I think the markets will be moving much earlier. Uh, I think it's clear that the risk markets and equities are already pricing in essentially the pause and even cuts for later this year. Um, but they're doing so in a way that they're not pricing in also the commensurate economic pain that might anticipate those cuts if we get into a recession. Uh, so there's scope there for some disappointment. Uh, at the same time, though, this need to be sort of anticipatory to why there could also be implicitly sort of a bit of investor put. Uh, and the reason for that is if the Fed's cutting rates is kind of the signal, well, now a sustainable bull marketer could be in place or the conditions that could be in place. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines when it happens because I'll miss out some of the early performance because the markets move very quickly. So I need to start investing and reallocating into equities before that happens. I'm seeing this as the mindset of a broad base of investors. Then, if you look at the different investor types, there's a lot of essentially money that could be sitting there to be redeployed into equities when this happens. Hedge funds, by and large, still have relatively light positioning. Long-only asset allocator types, like which we are, tend to be either underweight or maybe best neutral equities relative to a long-term benchmark. They're not overweight equities. And then retail investors are sitting in a lot of cash. We can see that in what's like in money markets accounts, as an example. So there's a lot of money to be able to kind of be put to work if equities kind of pull back. Uh, and so I think if you're going to see the S&P 100 go from its current level of around 4,100, down to like below 4,000, 3,900, 3,800, like nearing a 10% kind of pullback, there'll be a lot of resistance from investors saying, well, maybe the feds going to start cutting soon. Therefore, I need to get ahead of that and buy and kind of provide essentially support and essentially an implicit put in the market. That's kind of the, the rationale. Uh, and the audience on this with one kind of final data point. If you look just this calendar year, on days after which the S&P sold off, the average rally of the S&P the next day, on average, is the second highest we've had since 1928. So implicitly, the investors, all, you know, to some extent, are kind of buying the dip. Now these are daily moves, and there's a lot of other things that going on. I think that kind of kind of encapsulates the mindset that there will be a lot of buying power if the equity markets kind of pull back, you know, more than or close to 10%. So even if there's no Fed put. I think there is implicitly sort of an investor put to keep the downside somewhat limited for a real downturn in the economic outlook.
0: So, Jason, if we pivot a bit to the economy, as mentioned earlier, April data starts coming in this week, and we got important data last week as well, including, of course, Q1 earnings results. So what would you cite, Jason, as being the takeaways from last week, and what are you watching out for in the coming days?
1: Well, following up on my last comment about you know, the economy would have to really kind of roll over significantly to, to have a big downside in equities. The data that we've seen over the past month, you know, you know as the deficit on the banking crisis in March, suggests that that's still relatively resilient uh, and has still some decent momentum as we go into the second quarter. We'll get validation of that or start to get some validation of that, you know, uh, today with the ISM indexes uh, on Friday and off on payrolls, but the consensus is still uh, looking for forecasts around 200,000 jobs, so not a lot of, you know, weakness yet in the labor market. Uh, if we look at Q1 GDP, that was released on Friday. It was 1.1%, a little bit below expectations. But a lot of that was distorted lower by inventory, sort of, you know, uh, inventory destocking or less growth in inventory. Private sector demand from both consumers and corporates and investing was up around 2.7%, which is a very solid, positive number. This is in real terms after inflation. There was a downtrend throughout the quarter. Your January data was stronger than February, which is stronger than March. And, you know, that trend continues to see some, you know, further weakness going forward, which is not unlikely. In fact, it's probably expected to to have growth continue to moderate. But overall, the level of activity is still relatively you know resilient. Um, We saw that also to some extent with corporate earnings. Um, The numbers for Q1, as we're about two-thirds of the way done, are better than expected uh, and better than some of the recent quarters. You know, we've had some decently strong beats. You know, guidance going forward and revisions are slightly down, but the news is sort of positive enough that would suggest that maybe Q1, you know, could be sort of the trough quarter. Uh, And so fears that we're going to see a big pullback in earnings this year, again, you know, that look that's looking a little bit less likely, barring some big dramatic sell-off or or, uh, economic slowdown in the second half this year, which is a possibility, but not you know likely. So growth is holding up okay, although it's slowing. Uh, Inflation is moderating, but it's still running too hot. Core measures of inflation are still around four and a half percent annualized, and we're not seeing a lot of moderation just yet. The employment cost index came out on Friday, and this is the kind of the broadest measure of labor costs. It only comes out quarterly with GDP, and it showed sort of actually an uptick from Q4 versus uh, or Q1 versus Q4. So again, there's not a lot of moderation just yet in sort of labor markets kind of wages and compensation, which suggests that as an inflation impulse or factor, that hasn't sort of come down. So the story is that, you know, the macro picture is kind of holding up, maybe a little more than, you know, is, uh, you know, is ideal from the Fed's perspective, which is why even though we think it's most likely that that is done, the risks is skewed to that they end up doing more. Obviously, they can't do less than not hike anymore. Um, so going forward. So I think that the momentum is all, it's clearly trending lower and the impact of the, the banking system and the, and the credit contraction, though, probably won't really be felt until the third quarter, maybe even the fourth quarter. So in the timing of a recession, if that one materializes, it's looking increasingly kind of a later this year story more so than something starting by the summer.
0: So Jason, taking into account the potential for Fed pause coupled with economic data, we also have earnings data ahead of us, what would you say is your latest thinking on the investment outlook from here as well as any guidance you can offer us in terms of asset allocation? How should investors think about positioning at this time?
1: Well, the overall market outlook and therefore investment guidance hasn't really changed much in the past couple of weeks. We've seen equities fall off a little bit, but today there's a kind of similar levels to where we, they were two weeks ago when we did our last house U update. Same thing with treasury yields, not a lot of movement. Market volatility hasn't been particularly extreme. Uh, our thinking has been that you know, equity markets by and large are pricing in a high probability of a perfect landing for the economy. Uh, which means both has to moderate with inflation moderating and the Fed's able to ease rates, you know, by the end of the year because inflation's coming down. Certainly a plausible scenario, but not quite likely. There's there's other factors that could cause you know the, the equity market to pull back, including the debt ceiling, you know, any sort of geopolitical matters, uh, and the banking system. We you know there's clearly some potential for more stress there, and we still don't have a great idea of just how. Significant the credit contraction, the, the lack of credit could impact the economy later this year, but it is a risk to the downside. Equities don't appear to be priced for that, which is why we continue to, you know, have a lease in at least preferred of equities and recommend that for your marginal dollar, looking for high quality bonds, whether it's investment grade corporate bonds, agency mortgage, backed securities. If a taxable investor's municipal bonds still look attractive on that basis, um, looking outside of the U.S. where the macro picture has been a little bit better and equities haven't rallied nearly as much because the US equity market's been really lifted by large cap growth stocks. Uh and the valuation gap between US equities versus the rest of the world has just actually widened this year as opposed to, to tighten. So looking to you know to other markets to emerging markets uh, and away from from growth stocks continue to be kind of key messages. And then on the fixed income side, if this is the final rate hike for the Fed, we and clearly you can see rates have, have peaked so in addition to looking to buy high-quality bonds, managing that liquidity, the net effect is for a fixed-income portfolio. Make sure you kind of manage it maybe in a barbell fashion. Yes, you can have some ultra-short kind of duration you know, for, for cash and income, but for portfolio diversification, those benefits of rates peaking and life that have a little bit lower this year, uh, buying those high-quality bonds, that long duration gives you that sort of portfolio benefit. So I think it's kind of a, a barbell impact for your portfolio overall. So those are some of the key ideas and key messages that... We've been reiterating nothing about the macro outlook and the Fed positive pausing it changes that.
0: Well, Jason, very helpful insights and guidance to tee up what will be a very busy week and perhaps a market moving week. So a lot to keep track of over the next few days. Thank you, Jason, as always, for keeping our listeners, our clients informed on CIO's latest thinking, as well as positioning guidance and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation next Monday. You're welcome and have a good week. Today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. I do want to point out that during today's conversation, Jason has been referencing his latest blog. That title, of The Pause That Doesn't Refresh, is available now up on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can of course contact your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's latest blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.